Hi, everybody, and welcome again to the Comics Deserve Better podcast, where we talk about indie comics. Yes, I'm assuming you all listen to other episodes of this. But if you're not, welcome for the first time to the Comics Books Deserve Better podcast. That's not our name, but that's what I'm going to call it right now. <laughs> and with us, as always, is Carrie. Hi. And Richard. Hey. Thank you all for joining us today to talk about the lovely art called comics. Yes. <laughs> right. So we do have an awesome episode. We have a special episode. Uh, we we did an interview um, yesterday, actually, with uh, Devin Kraft, the uh, creator of Neverender. It was an awesome interview. You'll be hearing it shortly uh, in the middle of this episode. And uh, before we get that, we'll go ahead and do our, our regular episode stuff, like our DIY corner, where we talk about Kickstarters, uh, GoFundMe's, basically the uh, comics that are getting um, going through crowdfunding at this time that we would like to talk about. Uh, first one I'm going to talk about is from Quindry Press. Um, they've done a couple Kickstarters I've um, donated to before. They're located in Scotland. Um, small Press seems pretty cool. Um, their newest book is called Tilt, and it's an anthology of six different stories. And um, the creators are Julie Campbell, Chris Manson, Jack Devereaux, Kara Gaffney, Leo Preslin, and Dominique Dong. And um, basically, I'm I'm looking through the short, like the synopsis. synopsi. Is it synopsises or synopsi? Synopsi. <laughs> of the six stories. Um, the um, they might not all be related, except for the fact that they're all done in black and white. But they all seem pretty interesting. Um, I can just go kind of read the really quick sentences. So I'll just kind of maybe I'll just read through all here, just really quick. Um, first one's the the last stop by Leo Preslin. Caleb is the enthusiastic owner of the last stop, a cafe for spirits passing through onto the other side. But when a human finds his way to the cafe, the staff soon realizes that this new customer might not be able to go home. Next one is Gastrotelepathy. Telepathy? Gastrotelepathy by Jack Devereaux. Tabitha's psychic powers means she can predict the food you crave the most and cook it up in a flash. But will it be any use in deducing whether or which of her patrons is infamous art thief, the Golden Glove? The next is By the Way by Julie Campbell. An elderly woman takes a perilous journey to her new home. Uh, though she sets out alone, she finds comfort in traveling companions she meets along the way. Next one is Lilac and Silver by Kara Gaffney, which is when Arena's recently deceased sister comes back to life in the form of a cyborg. She struggles with whether this is something she or her sister would really want. Uh, next one is uh, The Monster and the Girl by Dominique Dong. And it's a wounded monster seeks refuge in a cave, but to its dismay is quickly discovered that the cave has another regular visitor, a little girl. And the last one is F Providence. It's F exclamation mark Providence by Chris Manson. Uh, freshly fired from her job and frustrated at the corporation gobbling up her city, Fee teams up with her best friend L to uncover exactly who or what is behind it all. So they seems like a couple of these stories kind of have the same theme going on, but then like they don't all match together, but all, you know, all the art looks really good. It's good black and white shading. Um, the stories all sound pretty interesting. So 
So yeah, give this a chance. Um, it hasn't officially dropped yet on Kickstarter, but it will soon. So you can go to the link in our um, description and uh, subscribe to that link, and it'll tell you once it uh, once it drops. It doesn't mean that you have to donate to it, but at least it tells you it's going to drop soon. And it also helps out helps them out because it then tells Kickstarter that like, hey, people are interested in this. Maybe we should put it towards the top of the page. You know, so it, yeah, it's always a good thing to uh, say you're interested, even if you might be marginally interested. <laughs> Very cool. That's um, interesting. Yeah. And okay, so next one is Assassin G, aka the thing that I lost on my notes here. Uh-huh. <laughs> so let's try that one more AKA time. Aka Gan, the nineteenth sister. Gan, the nineteenth sister. <laughs> thank you. For some reason, that didn't show up on my on my notes. Um, so basically, uh, this is actually a an adaptation of a a very popular novel that was that was written in, in china um about i think in the 80s uh it's basically it's about an assassin obviously uh that um here actually let me just go through the synopsis real quick trained by hong Xiao, margo is virtually unstoppable as the ghost like assassin g however when margo faces off against the yu yang family his own star jp yin she finds a mutual admiration as they try to defeat the other Soon torn between their loyalties to their families, the kindred spirits come together to a forbidden romance that complicates everything about what they thought they believed. Watch the trailer now. <laughs> and that, yeah, so it's the first English and contemporary adaptation of one of the most well known Chinese wuxia novels in recent history that was written by Xiao Yi. So um, it looks really good. Um, th- this got turned into a bunch of movies as well in China, and um, the art the art looks great. Um, this takes place in San Francisco instead of China. Um, they're kind of just trying to maybe like westernize it just a t- tad bit for Western audiences, but you know it it still looks pretty cool. And I'm looking at the art; it looks neat. Yep, it has some cool. Uh, some 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 nice um uh variant covers like by like Jin Chung like you know of Marvel fame, and uh, mm-hmm. Jian Galang as well um makes her cover debut so and uh, and then yes also legendary Jean Ha is uh is doing a variant cover as well so yeah mm-hmm. there's some pretty good stuff here um yeah it looks it looks like a lot of fun and you know they're they have um some good tiers of you know digital physical just like you normally get on uh on kickstarter so that's it for diy corner hope you all liked it very cool all right so we're gonna go ahead and go into the spotlights now moving along um you know what richard why don't you start today cool 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 um this week i took a look a a look oh look wow i can speak I'm like contagious. I'm so sorry. <laughs> My tongue just got really heavy all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> I took a look at uh, Blink number one uh, from Oni Press by Christopher Savella, uh, Hayden Sherman, Nick Filardi, and Frank. Ooh, Svechkovic. You know, you can't put too many, so many consonants. Yeah, back to back like that. But basically, like a hockey player. Right. Go ahead. Uh, the book starts out, uh, probably trigger warning for folks. Yeah. In the midst of uh, the main character, Ren, he's having like a sleep paralysis nightmare. 
And you kind of find out quick that this is something that he's been going through through life forever, you know, as long as he can remember. So he's just trying to remind himself, like, no, there's not a big Cyclops demon on you. You're just going through sleep paralysis. He's trying to wake himself up so he can get back to normal. And what we find out is that uh, Ren is like a freelance writer. And he is, you know, he, he takes all these sorts of gigs, but his main thing that he's after is something called Project Zero. And he finally finds information about Project Zero through a uh, website or, you know, a uh, IP address that he finds. And it's like a different security, um, different security model, monitor videos and the word blink. Hmm. And so he is, you know, trying to get, you know, trying to get more information, but he gets booted off that page and he's just kind of on the Internet doing research work. But what we find out is that uh, his parents died very while well, he was very young, like it traumatized him so much that he's kind of blocked it all out. But whatever Project Zero is, that's where he was. And he's been obsessing over this story. But, you know, he, you know, has a decent career. He has a boyfriend that he's, he lives with. And, you know, he has a life that seems normal and goes, you know, pretty swimmingly, except he can't let go of this story like this trauma. He's like he talks to his therapist. But he's like, until I work through this trauma, until I figure out what this is, what what like, you know, this missing part of my memory is, he can't go on. He lets his boyfriend go out of town without him. You know, there's a bit of an intervention, but he tells his boyfriend that like, hey, just let me get this. And once I figure this out, we're good. So he flies to uh, uh, to, to New York and he links up with a, a friend of his that he met online named Joel. And Joel's like a uh, urban explorer. And basically Joel's like, hey, like, yeah, I, we found I, I, I could find this place. And like, as long as you let me stream it, you know what we discover, like we're square. So they go to the spot and it's like a it's a, you know, set of brownstones. And they find a little uh, little wall or win window that's only bricked up because everything else has big old shutters on it. And they're able to break in. Ren goes in first, and there's computers, there's living quarters. It's three brownstones, but they need they apparently knocked the walls down to make it one big like facility. And Joel's compl completely convinced. He's like, hey, your family was in a cult. Like, this is <laughs> obviously like a cult thing. And this is cult-like behavior. Ren's like, nah. He's like, I don't think it was a quote, but he's like, I think it was actually something weirder than a cult. So they're, you know, searching, searching, searching. He finally finds a uh, a monitor that could show video footage, um, you know, that that still has, you know, power to it. And as soon as they do that, he, he sees he sees his parents in the video footage and people are like, it's like a stampede of people trying to get out. And the issue ends with what looks like demons watching Ren and Joel watching the video. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. Creepy. No, very creepy. Like, <laughs> very uh, interesting book. Um, Hayden Sherman, who, uh, you know, we covered a little bit in my spotlights for uh, Chicken Devil, does mm -hmm. really great art, really evocative stuff. But yeah, it's just, it, it's a very dark and morose book. So your mileage may vary, but it's really well done. And like the mystery that they set up, I definitely want to go back and learn more about it. So I will be back, you know, for issue two and, and beyond. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So I think, uh, so I picked this up a little uh, as well. Um, and um, so Christopher Sabella is the writer. And the last Christopher Sabella thing I wrote was Crowded, 
And that was a you know a little more lighthearted than this. And I think that plus I, when I was trying to read this, I was really tired. I so I I liked it, but like it was like I was disconnected to it. But now like going through this once again with you talking about it, and then I'm going like page by page while you're while you're describing what's going on. It's like now clicking more in my brain. I'm like okay, you know like this is pretty cool because like the art's good, and I'm, like I said, I like Sabella as a as a as a writer. So like. And also, you know, I kind of want to support Oni books, you know, like at least so hopefully the creators get paid, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Like, this is what's going on with Oni right now. So, um, so yeah, no, but yeah, no, this is my first uh, experience with the artist and I really like the art. Like I didn't read Chicken Devil yet, so, and I will definitely soon, but, um, but yeah, no, I like what I see here. And the coloring is awesome. Pretty. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well. Very good colors. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, you know, I, you see those stories a lot. And it just always sucks. Like, when I read those type of stories where, like, hey, this person found a little bit of happiness and they're willing to throw it all away for this obsession that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. But there's a lot of this in uh, Last of Us Part Two, And that oh. made me not want to play video games for about a year because it was just so it was just so real to the human condition and like that desperation that you'd see someone throw out like their whole life that they built for them for themselves yeah. away for this obsession that it just it it just it's a downer <laughs> totally i but this I one a... has demons so maybe it'll be a, fun, a little bit fun <laughs> yeah demons make everything fun um the <laughs> the um with with lots of us too i haven't played it because uh, i haven't had the system to play it yet and but um i've listened to many spoiler casts about it and mm-hmm. yeah that one scene that you're alluding to everyone's like why does ellie just stay on the farm like what yeah no no it's heartbreaking it's happy. heartbreaking yeah exactly so yeah i can i'm excited no, no, I'm no, play the it. end of that game broke me no please do it's a masterpiece yeah. it's one of the best video games i've ever played but the end of that game broke me while i was just like so yeah that that's us yeah we do stupid shit like that that's human beings mm-hmm. you just <laughs> ugh. Because you also, because like, don't you play as the other character who's like, who's technically the antagonist for a little bit? Right, 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 right. And then you and turn then, out, turns out she might actually be the protagonist, <laughs> like towards the end of the. Not book. really. No, no. Oh. They're they're both just different versions of awful. Of awful. It's, and okay. I guess okay. when when you get to the end of the game, when you get to the end of the playthrough, I guess you get to choose who's awful was, you know, slightly <laughs> more palatable. Who's the awfulest of them all? <laughs> Right, right, right. Like you get to the end and you're just kind of like, I guess I like this one better, but like everything here feels icky and they're both terrible people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that makes me sad. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> it, yeah, I think you've reconvinced me to check out more Blink. So I'm going to. Yeah, I, I, I'll i give it a look just to see at least where the, this mystery is going. Yeah. Like, um, going through it, it didn't grab me until that little hook at the end where I was just like, well, now I want to know. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and that's kind of how I felt too. But like, like I said, when I was tired, the hook didn't hook me as much because I was like, okay, now it's bedtime. You know, like, let's, let's go to bed. You know, so, so yeah. But no, reading through it with you right now definitely changed my opinion. Right? Very cool. Thanks. So. Very nice. I too have number ones, and I went against one of my rules that I've been trying to keep, which is only leave one, only do one image book. But I'm doing two image books, and there's a good reason for it. Um, so, um, and I have a third book from Aftershock to kind of you know make it a little 
less uh, imagey. But um, but no, all three of these books are definitely worth talking about, and I really enjoyed all three of these number ones. So let's get this started. <laughs> um, Deadly's Bouquet, number one by Erica Schultz, uh, Carola Borelli, and Gav Contreras from Image Comics. Uh, so basically the book starts, um, there's three sisters, Poppy, Rose, and Violet, hence the uh, bouquet <laughs> name, title. And um, the uh, what happens is that uh, Rose is caught, is has blood on her hands. It's late at night. She's calling her sister, who's in California, Poway, California, by the way. So shout out to Poway, which never gets any shout outs. Home <laughs> of Blink One Eighty Two, and um, the um, and her sister wakes up, um, gets woken up by the phone. You know, it's like three in the morning on California time, so she's being called from from New York. So it's like six in the morning there, and she basically tells um, Poppy uh, that their mother died, they got murdered in their flower shop, and so. Um, so Poppy obviously flies out. Um, there's a third sister named Violet, uh, as mentioned before. Um, she's in France at the time, or in England rather at the time. So she flies out via the Concorde. So I'm guessing this is a period piece then. Yeah, it's um, in seven ninety eight. Yeah. Okay. And um and so so yeah, the um so they so they all go out to, to uh to the flower shop. Uh Poppy brings her husband and her two kids. Uh, to kind of see what's going went down. Um, when they all get there, the police are doing their investigations. Um, Violet shows up. Violet's kind of like um, a little more blasé about everything. And um, but um, they all decide to kind of work with each other. They used to work with each other a lot um, as as children, but then they kind of fell apart. Um, and Rose kind of is resenting everyone because she was left to watch their mom as the other two went off to live their lives. Well, it's alluded to in the book that these three daughters were raised by their mom to be basically assassins or some kind of like, you know, physical warriors of some sort. And like each one has like their specialty weapon, like um like Violet's good with knives. Um I think it was Rose is good with like the brass knuckles. And um, I forget what Poppy's good at, but anyways, um, they're and so they kind of show a little bit of, of back, you know, kind of background as we go along in the story, but um, eventually it ends up with um, you finding out that their father died when they were all young, and I think that's what kind of started their training, because um, um, his their father basically fell down the stairs and was bleeding. And so it doesn't look like it was an accident. <laughs> and um, and then um, we flash back to the to modern times where basically Violet um, decides to go do some investigation of her own by um, by following the lead to these two these two guys who were talking about um, you know these two criminals that some that they, that she has been uh, pointed towards. And uh, she basically starts flirting with them and then pulls a knife on this guy's crotch and basically says. You're gonna tell me what you're gonna tell me, you know, tell me about what my mom what happened to my mom. And that's the end of this issue. So um it's it's pretty good. Um I, I like the uh the idea like of the, the three uh you know assassin sisters. Um Rose is good at the at the knuckles and Poppy is good with guns, by the way. There we go. <laughs> I <laughs> the on the, the second issue has them with their, their weapons, especially. Um, so it, it's gonna be it's it seems like it's gonna be a fun one. Um Erica Schultz 
uh, wrote, I haven't talked about it on the show yet, but she wrote a cyberpunk like mystery noir called uh, Bylines and Blood. And um, that was really good. And so she's been on my radar and this new issue came out. So I was like, okay, I have to get this. Um, but yeah, it looks, it looks good so far, you know, kind of like a Charlie's Angels, but with family issues <laughs> at the same time. So, I mean, know. definitely the, I'm just looking at some of the art and the art looks really good. Mm-hmm. And it's been a while since I've like read anything like that's just fun. Shoot them up. Like it's funny that's a period of piece because it seems like something that would be made in the nineties that we <laughs> don't necessarily make like that movie yeah. now. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, totally. I can, I can totally see that. Yeah, this is definitely here your nineties fun action movie, with some three badass women as your uh, protagonists, and also kind of has that western vibe to it because you know it's like trying to find vengeance on the person who killed their mom. So yeah. they killed my mom. So speaking about. Good art. <laughs> Love Everlasting um, by Tom King. Yes, Tom King. Elsa Chaudier, uh, Matt Hollingsworth, and Tom Muller Image. So yeah, I admittedly picked this up because I love Elsa Chaudier as an artist, and um, I will try to read anything that she writes or draws because she's amazing. Um, has a very distinct type of artwork that's a very like 50s throwback. Um, just amazing. Um <laughs> Also, I mentioned it many times on this podcast. I'm not a huge Tom King fan. And I don't like how he usually writes women. And the fact that this book is it's it's a woman protagonist. So I was kind of iffy about it. And like, but it's good. And it's good so far. And I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so are you sure? Yes, like, I you, do. you sound guilty for liking this Tom King book. I know it's like I'm, I'm so sorry yeah. for liking a Tom King book, but I do. But uh, no, I mean, like, no offense to anyone who likes Tom King. I mean, like, it's just he's just not my bread and butter. You know, it's like you know that's just the way it is. But I like this one. Um, I like so, Tom King. He's a, he's a spook, right? He's a, yeah 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 he he worked for the CIA before he uh, like I feel like this is that's but I feel like comic book writers totally the appropriate job to have after you retire from the CIA I completely <laughs> agree and I and I always make the joke because he always gets paired with some of my favorite artists that maybe he does like CIA like tricks to like make people because <laughs> he gets like Lee Weeks he gets like Elsa Sharp oh yeah no no he has dirt on all of editorial all of ownership and he just you know makes stuff happen for himself. Yeah, Exactly. No, but all joking aside, so um, this book, so essentially this is a homage and also kind of a deconstruction of your 50s and 60s romance comics. Um, we have our character, main character, um, Joan Peterson. This is done in um, kind of like you're in your golden and your silver age books. There, there, there's vignette stories, right? So the first story follows Joan Peterson. Um, she's in love with her best friend's boyfriend slash also it's her boss. And so they kind of get close to each other. Um, and, you know, it's like your, your typical, your typical romance comic, you know, or romance story where she's like unrequited love, or maybe we do love each other, but we can't have each other because of the situation we're in. But then we find out that the, uh, that her friend is turns out she doesn't like the guy anymore and she's dating someone else and getting married so it all turns out well and that they're going to get married you know basically joan and and this guy george is going to get married and so um and that's the end of the first story second story it's joan again strange 
but this time Joan is in the um, in the sixties, and she's um, sneaking out of her house because her father's a very conservative dude and wants to go out to the hippie scene and and check out the music, and then she ends up falling in love with the, one of the musicians, and they start having a secret romance, and they um, while this is all happening, she's kind of like, she accidentally calls him George a couple times. And then and then wonder about the relationship and the marriage that she has to George. And then she goes, wait, no, that's not true. That never happened. So she, so while this is going on, um, okay, so you know your your standard story, everything kind of turns out well at the end. Uh, and all of a sudden we go into a third story. It's Joan again, and she's the center of another love story, but this time it's in the old west. And once again, she's like saying you know like wondering what happened to to her friend who used to sing and wondering what happened to george her former boss that she fell in love with and then she's also now supposed to be in love with um the the cow hand and then the or the the son of the of the owner of this ranch and the, the other cow hand comes in to be the other the part of the, of the love triangle so she freaks the fuck out because she's wondering what the hell is going on because she's remembering all these other stories that we're getting and um and so she ends up falling asleep or running away falling asleep in the middle of the desert she gets woken up by a bandit and the bandit basically goes you know are you joan peterson she's like yeah and then she's like okay well um i this is a harsh world and running won't get you anywhere and she she doesn't say who she is but she would like to you to know that love is everlasting and then shoots her and then she wakes up and another story where she's a nurse during World War II. And she's like looking at herself in the mirror. And she's like, oh, fuck. Like, what the hell's going <laughs> on? So she, so yeah, so she's aware, like, she's a, that she's like a pulp romance story character. And she's getting thrown into all these stories. And she's starting to become self real, you know, realize that she's like, you know, like, what, what's going on? Like, why, why am I being thrown into all these different stories? So that's how that's how that issue ends. So so yeah, like um, I love the uh, you know kind of like the Twilight zoniness of it. You know, like being stuck in short stories and then like realizing it's all of a sudden that you maybe you're a fictional character. You know, like that's a lot of fun. A lot of Grant Morrison ishness to it too. You know, so I like it. And like I said, the art's great. So even if you want to just read it for the art, <laughs> it's it's wonderful. And the last one is Samurai Doggy. Aww. Yes. I wonder why I decided to read this one. I just have to say two <laughs> words. Samurai Doggy, number one by by Chris Tex and Santos. By it's from Aftershock. And um, okay, content warning. Okay, so if you're interested, if you know like your standard samurai stories, especially your samurai like revenge stories. You're gonna get some graphic violence in the beginning of the story. You know that's kind of your standard in in the genre. And since this is about a dog, <laughs> the the violence, the the heavy violence is towards dogs. What? Yeah. And the first seven, I I almost recommend if you that's gonna bother you, skip the first seven pages, and like and you can still know what's going on. Just know that. This you know this dog basically, his mom was was murdered by this guy, and and all his fellow littermates were kidnapped except for him, and he was left to die, uh, because he attacked the guy, 
um, as as he was trying to um, steal all his brothers and sisters. Um, he's woken up by a mechanical crow, like a cyborg crow named Ray, who teaches the dog to become a samurai, to to take vengeance on the death of his mother and also find um, his his missing brothers and sisters. Um, so we get a flashback. It's um, samurai dog. He's a Shibu. And um, at the the story has a very like cybery kind of like feudal Japan, but yet with like technology, kind of like Samurai Jack almost. I was going to say very. It seems very yeah. Samurai Jack. Yeah, and um, basically he's running, kind of going from town to town with with his uh, his crow companion on his on his shoulder, trying to find out what is happening to his or what happened to his brothers and sisters. Also at the same time, because he's a samurai, you know, like he helps right wrongs as well in town. So um, it's pretty interesting. It's very much like a fish out of water story that you'll get in a lot of samurai stories, as well as like the artwork's pretty cool. It's dogs, robots, you know, you can't really go wrong with dogs and robots. And like I said, just despite the first seven pages of the of the comic um they're like once the dog's older i think the violence that happens is a little more palatable because he's also bipedal um bipedal so um so it's not like watching you know like what looks like a dog get hurt you know it's like a dog man you know so it's a little less less um unpalatable palatable so Anyways, um, very good. Once again, fun first issue. Definitely recommend checking this one out as well, especially if you are a fan of like samurai stuff. Um, it's a good take on the genre, and also I like shibus, so it's kind of fun to watch a <laughs> shibu samurai. So, all right, that's my um, spotlights. Hey, cool. Hope you cool. all enjoy. Whenever we do spotlights, I always just laugh because I'm like. I when I first got into comics, so many of these books are too weird to even got made. So just the fact that they're weird and they're out and they're accessible always makes me smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. I like this is. I think this is why I like comics is because like it, it, it's um it's you know it's popular enough where people want want to do it, and it's also not too pricey for anyone to do it you know so like you, you just get mm-hmm. crazy crazy ideas now you know and and like like a samurai dog you know that's fun that's fun though you know it's a, it's good in a cybernetic world and so we'll see yeah uh three number ones so um I'll, i might uh do a follow-up next month when uh number twos come out and let you know whether i still love tom king or not all right very well, cool well so that's it for the spotlights i didn't have one i just suggest everybody read yes everyone read and don't read the first seven pages of samurai donkey if you don't Aww, want to see that that makes um, me really sad but it's but it's good I, I i i wouldn't be recommending it if i felt like one you could skip those pages if you don't want to read them and two it's still a good book so um all right well i guess we're going to go ahead and in our interview with uh, Devin Kraft, like mentioned before, with from uh, Neverender, uh, very fun conversation. We, so we got a lot of uh, information about his process, and yeah, you know about Neverender the book and what comes next. But also, we just had a bunch of other fun side questions about, <laughs> like you know, his inspirations and in anime and stuff. Yeah, it was a good time. Important Evangelion questions, and so <laughs> all right. Well, hope you all enjoy.
All right, we are now joined by Devin Kraft, uh, creator of Neverender. Thank you very much for joining us, Devin, today. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, it's went through your comic, very much a fan. <laughs> Glad to have you on. It's very cool. Um, but as we always start with the first question, whenever we're interviewing somebody, is what's your superhero origin? Like, what's what what, what got you into comic books, essentially? I was just walking down the streets of New York and a radioactive comic artist just leapt out and just like vampire bit me in the neck. And I was like, oh, God, my life. Was it Mobius? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he morphed on me. I, no, I hope it was, it was Mobius. It was Mobin time. Yep, it's Mobin time. <laughs> it's, it's the grandchildren of Mobius's art style. Um, yep. That's for sure. Uh, what got me into comics? So I, I it's kind of funny because it's sort of circuitous, but like the first my first like love of comics goofily enough was like archie sonic uh comics oh yeah absolutely past paziente like his stuff is amazing um and so like when i was a kid i would sit and like my uh my dad's a lawyer and so we and i'm really really adhd and like energetic and you'll see talkative we yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you're, you're you're in good company yeah no, we would I, like my parents would give me uh, like uh, legal pads. And so I'd sit and like draw out Sonic comics, and, like do little animations and stuff. Um, and so from there, like I kind of got I big into video games as a kid. Uh, and then video games kind of took me to like uh, Pokemon, Pokemon anime manga. And then, so I didn't get into like comic comics until I like I read what I would get kind of here there because like my hometown doesn't have like a shop. Mm-hmm. Um, Roswell didn't have like they had a shop but it closed before I was interested in comics I think it closed probably when I was like 10 or 11 um, mm. and then like through anime manga and trying to hunt that down I ended up in a lot of comic shops and then eventually like kind of the wave of film like I I don't ever want to admit it but like the whole X-Men movie like all the stuff where I'm like oh like I'm not you know I'm not part of this like media blitz but you know <laughs> no you don't want to be a rube but you were totally a rube yeah yeah like i like i enjoyed the movies fine and i think i watched them more as brian singer films than like but uh <laughs> i think i was like 15 or so but i was a film snob but like mm-hmm. uh like ultimate x-men i was like these are these are kind of interesting <laughs> you know like i was yeah. like i'm a little old for these like 15 and like i'm probably core demographic for you know mm-hmm. um but got really into like like in, in hunting down uh, anime and manga comic shops like kind of rediscovered comics and like so i kind of come by way like most of my initial experience was um like through marvel vs. capcom games nice and then uh my dad does uh entertainment card well he collects a lot of base sports cards but i had like uh spider-man the mark bagley set where it's like oh right yeah that's grail that's a that's an awesome thing yeah. to have so that like I, I read every card so i learned a lot of, like spider-man was my favorite superhero so like that all that kind of got me to like making my own stuff mm-hmm. um and so in high school uh like i always sketch during classes because it kind of keeps me from like disrupting um, <laughs> and that served me my whole life but uh so i sketched a lot in school and so me and uh my best friend logan uh logan pack who does like really really incredible posters in and of his own right like uh we've both kind of forged different artistic paths in a cool way but like uh kind of in an iron sharpens iron way i would do the writing and he would do the illustration nice so yeah so i came up with this like neo-noir comic called uh jabberwock that was basically like alice in wonderland like like it was kind of like uh the closest like when i when i really saw cowboy bebop i was like you know what like most of what i was gonna do like not that it would have been one tenth of bebop but like 
uh, triads, like a main character's kind of, you know, wandering presence. Mm-hmm. Um, also, really lucky number seven. That was the other one I saw. And I was like, mm. this is like the two houses kind of fighting. Um, yeah. I was like, this is really like, like, the more I saw, I was like, I don't know if I had anything to say with this, but I was really into Chinese, like neo noir. Mm-hmm. So, um, and like Chai and Fat John Wu movies. So, we're trying to like synthesize that to comic form. And um, I wrote it, he drew it. And then in college, uh, I wanted to keep going on the story. And so I was like, well, I'll draw an issue or two. And like, I drew all this time, but like, that's, uh, that's kind of where I was like, well, I'll take drawing seriously, as seriously as I'm trying to take writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of from there, it, during college, I did like a six issue series. Um, I did a whole bunch of different comics and then, um, like this is during I got a film degree and so during my classes I would draw and uh that's awesome yeah that's very cool um so really quick then um what what is do you think is the uh the best Chow Yun Fat movie oh okay so I I definitely have an answer so a lot of people Mm -hmm. probably see towards hard-boiled or whatever yeah that's Um, a big one I think I think the killer uh okay have you seen that one um, I've not seen the whole thing, honestly. I've seen like the the trailers of it, but I've, I've not gone into watching the whole thing yet. But okay. it gonna, looks. Good. I was gonna ask, how was being a uh, film snob going growing up? Like, did you have access to stuff? Because you were saying that in your town you didn't even have a comic book shop. So was it hard to like track down some of the more interesting like foreign and independent movies? Or I I lucked out in two different ways. So one, we have a store called Hastings. Do you guys know about Hastings? Okay. No. No. It's picture picture a, if a blockbuster and a Barnes and Noble like ran into each other. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, awesome. <laughs> so like Hastings is like a semi-regional. I think it's mainly southern. Um, Texas has some. I, it might have made it as far as Arizona, but like they they kind of sell whatever. And so in our town, they were a DVD sales place, DVD rental place, uh, skateboard decks, used comic books, books, <laughs> novels. Uh, they got into all sorts of just weird. They would sell whatever. It's like nerd heaven. Essentially. Yeah, <laughs> it's, that it's, sounds like one of the uh, favorite comic shops I ever stumbled across. It was like a renovated uh, RV or trailer that uh, it was comics, uh, vinyl, and musical instruments. Ooh, <laughs> that's awesome. That's a good combo. Yeah, very. But sure. yeah, they so they sold like they had a whole bunch of different stuff. So me and my friends would, and this is back in the like nineties, two thousands, where like being mm-hmm. a Tarantino was like a, you know, it's like if you know the most about film, you can have a job, <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, that, <laughs> they didn't have Wikipedia, so it's just like if you just knew everything, we can hire you. Yeah, yeah. Like there's some like whatever. I like not that I know a lot about him or that I'm a fan or whatever. But like Harry Knowles was like a thing, you know, like mm-hmm. people who are like just media aficionados it seemed like it was a socially viable skill um so <laughs> we watched we watched like everything we could do and then um uh, i had a teacher uh, a drama teacher who was a big fan of like basically like for for shorthand like criterion collection films um mm-hmm. so she was like you gotta watch fellini you gotta watch like all so she had a huge crush on chai and fat and so she sold me this like 200 deep vhs oh, uh so like like I I'm not the uh, expert on best chai and fat movies, but I have seen probably sixty of them. So that's nice. I would say that's the, the expert level. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's not ten thousand times like what they say sometimes, but no, yeah. that's that's <laughs> definitely enough. I th- I think to be an expert. 
Definitely. Yeah. 10,000 hours of uh, chai and fat. Exactly. Um, and, and I wasn't into him because, like, she, she had a crush on him. I was into him because, like, John Woo, like, mm-hmm. like a lot of them are John Woo. And then a lot of them are, like, really funny, weird comedies. Yeah. That's what a lot of people don't realize is that there was, like, so many, like, funny movies coming out of, of Hong Kong at the era. It wasn't just, you know, like, awesome, awesome, like, effects and, uh, and like, cool uh Oh my god, I can't even think right now. Martial arts. <laughs> martial arts. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Arts. yeah. <laughs> like cool choreography. Yeah. Yeah. But the killer, like 10 of 10. Mm. Uh I grew up with that more than Die Hard. So like I remember in the film class, I was like, killer's better than Die Hard. Like everybody's like, shut up. And I was like, okay. But, <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know? I don't know. It's good. It's really good. It's really yeah. cool. It's the premise sounds silly. Uh, because he's trying to like raise it's the one last job. Uh, and basically he like he basically blinds a singer he loves and he's trying to get her a cornea transplant mm-hmm. which like that word doesn't sound cool in English but he's essentially trying to save the one he loves and so he, you know one last job but like it's him and a cop on a collision course and I don't know I love it I mean the heist I'm, I'm always here for one last job yeah, yeah yeah that is definitely like one of my favorite premises in any kind of movie yeah. you know even something like Ronin or something like that like that's like the best part is that it's someone's one last job, and of course everything's going to go wrong. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we can see what happens. It's so, it's good. Def. Well, very much. Thank you. Um, that's awesome. Uh, now, really quick. Now, now let's get into Neverender. Actually, okay. Um, so, so give us a quick. Uh, you know, you can give us the elevator pitch. You can give us whatever type pitch you want to give us. Uh, just tell us a little bit about the book and uh, and kind of like what influences got you into to writing this story. Okay. Um, so Never Ender, I originally did a version of it in 2010, uh, and the original goal was to do uh, Star Wars if it was inspired by uh, Solaris instead of Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a lot more kind of navel-gazy in its first iteration, but uh, the, the premise is basically astronauts. It's kind of an aesthetic first, and then I like, started building this world around this concept, but like, what if uh, basically NASA-style uh, spacesuits, what if you had to fight someone in like a duel to the death and like, you know, what kind of a world would emerge from that being the the dominant form of sport? Mm-hmm. So, so the concept's like, imagine if you can like strap up as much armor as you can put on you. I mean, you're in space, so you don't have to carry it, but it does hinder your mobility. Um, and then like, let's say you have five minutes of oxygen. You can either boost with it or breathe with it. And so, you know, what are the techniques? What would that like look like? And in my head, it looks a lot like uh, uh, fencing. You know, because all you have to do is get one shot. Like, you can armor up as much as you want, but you're going to have a weak point somewhere. And so that's kind of the initial concept. So jumping back, I was like, okay, like, you know, you have this kind of sport where it's people people fighting to the death, you know, for entertainment. Um, I started coming up with the, the rules that would, like, govern that world. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, like, who would want to take part in this? And so the main character, Merrick, is basically uh, – like he's from earth and he's kind of in the poorest like the poorest of the poor places like the most compact dense like you know like 40 people like living in like two rooms kind of situation um you know kind of kowloon walled city where it's just like you know uh everything's built into everything else it's just this like kind of rat's nest of a, a place to live and uh so he kind of comes from the poorest of the poor uh you know places in the world and he dreams of getting out he dreams of getting somewhere where it's not cramped where there's like space and so it kind of follows the story of him he's kind of rough and tumble uh on earth he's like a brawler you know gets in as many fights as he can 
but what does it look like when this kid who comes from like a rough background ends up in this like very dainty, very polite, uh, very precise combat form? So it's like letting like a bear loose and, you know, and I don't know, like, yeah. and, like someone who fights just wildly, uh, you know, in this precision sport. So it's kind of chaos versus order. Um, and I try to tell the story from kind of both perspectives, like, a who's this this kid like society has been nothing but detrimental to this kid but on the other side like what does it look like trying to forge a meaningful society in space and so like i kind of want to paint it from the the antagonist perspective where it's like you know like they they're trying to find ways to give people hope in this just infinite endless expanse and like they both have things that are wrong with their ideologies um you can't have everything be anarchic and you can't have everything be hyper ordered but that's kind of the tension that I'm playing with in the, in the book. Mm. That well, that is awesome to hear. Um, I'm very happy. It took you a little, like this was years of work. Cause I was like, when I was reading Never End There, I was thinking to myself, what is the process of building such a world with like very strict rules to it? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm saying there was, I, I was just happy to hear. I thought, you know how sometimes you hear like these musical geniuses of like, and I sat down for 15 minutes and it was created. It's like, oh no, good. You spoiled yeah. with this because I was trying to wrap my head around just the rules of the fighting, just the, the rules of the space travel, the stuff with the satellites. Like I was just like, it's so intricate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was actually giving me low self-esteem. I was like, he just popped up with <laughs> No. It, it wasn't a Paul McCartney yesterday situation. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. right. It's yeah. just like, I sat down in front of the piano and a masterpiece mm-hmm. was made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, um, yeah I, I when I was reading it, I was totally getting this vibe that, that it's, it is written down. You just have tomes and tomes of like lore and and like <laughs> and like that. That was the vibe, and I got that's the kind of vibe I get when I like watch like Gundam as mm-hmm. well, where it's like the space politics, you know, and like in like the way you explain that how like I, both sides are not right, and like mm-hmm. and yet they're still fighting against each other for their ideals, and yet they're not they're both flawed. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's what makes that stuff so great. So and that's what one of the things that makes it so intriguing. To, to read an Everender, definitely. Yeah. But now, what were some of your, your major influences with, with so Everender? I'm a, I'm a diehard. So Solaris was the first jumping off point. So there's a version of Neverender that's technically, if you want to go digging through DeviantArt, there's a, a 50-page version of the story that's okay. a lot more kind of like navel-gazy. It's a lot more yeah. internal and like philosophical and less like Merrick isn't fully. I had to kind of go back to the drawing board and be like, okay, what am I? Like, I did it wrong. I did it different. Um like once before and that one's kind of more about this guy going to the edge of space where there's like a very difficult to see uh satellite and him and it's still american radio but um he's kind of trying to get over a breakup and he's doing it by by doing a suicide mission to enter this league Mm -hmm. um and so that's that's kind of what the first pass of it was then i kind of looked at it and i was like i was like that's not as cool of a place to to start from um i love i love akira but like what i'm like there's the aesthetic, but what I'm most interested in is the first part where there's this like civil unrest among the youth. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's actually my favorite part. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I lived in Japan and the uh, I still can't tell you what uh, these people are protesting, but the college I went to almost every day, there were protesters out front 
Um, and at the time, I just viewed him as a nuisance. Now that I'm a little bit older, like a little bit more political, like I'm very curious what it, it could have been something very trivial, like, you know, they liked or disliked a teacher. It, it sounded like these are people who had graduated and had been here for years. Like, um, but Japan has a whole lot of different uh, uh, protests, like they have a rich history of kind of civil unrest. Um, and that's what that's what Otomo was pulling from. Like, it's a mix of these this violent bike gang called the Bosozoku um which is like violent tribe like they would you know these like they're the people in the 80s and everyone was afraid that like these motorcyclists were going to just ride through town and like ruin everything Interesting. Um, so he had this like sympathy for the devil situation with Kanada and Tetsuo where it's like well let's see it from their perspective but uh I I wish I knew a little bit more I don't think I'm correct on on what riots he's like kind of pulling whenever he's like uh, you know, making all these crowd scenes, but there were some crazy riots around uh, building an airport, I think in Narita, when I was trying to research, mm. like, what, what are some of the biggest Japanese riots? And it's funny, because, like, that, that airport's huge, like, it's very important to Japan, and, like, anytime, like, you fly in, you're either going to Haneda or Narita, and uh, it might, I don't think it's Haneda, I think it was Narita, I might be wrong, though. Um, anyway, one of the big two airports, and, like, people, like, protested it, like, hated it, now that it's there, it's, like, I'm assuming... The locals feel good about it but um, <laughs> eventually right like, yeah eventually at, at the very least it's like the lifeblood artery of whatever city that it's attached yeah. to probably yeah yeah well there's one that's like i think now it's just two or three uh, like not two or three but like maybe an hour or so outside of tokyo by bullet train and then i think honda is actually in the city so i think it's narita but um anyway so i, I started trying to look into like japanese youth and revolt because like we view japan as this like or most most americans view japan as this like mystical curious like there's the anime side there's like world war ii side but there's a very real side of japan that's basically like uh britain just very <laughs> uptight very formal um and in the same way like monty python emerges from like england you've got all this like like the revolt against this order uh you've got these movies like throw away your books and write in the streets you've got like this this whole wave of like japanese like uh like social rebellion cinema and mm -hmm. so like Diary of a Shinjuku Thief, you've got like all these all these movies of like like people trying to punk out in like the 60s and 70s and just like lashing out at society through art. And so that's I, I didn't want to do Akira like I wasn't I was kind of looking at like, OK, like what is the civil unrest that like this is a very ordered society? And like, what does it look like to be a dissident in a very ordered society? Mm -hmm. um so that was that was part of it i love um i love ashley wood's comics a lot so like part of me was like kind of looking into like some different color schemes um i really really like sergio topi i'm trying to think like there's a lot of art references um last man there's this french comic called uh, it's practically a manga but this french comic called last man that has just these great fight scenes and so i was like okay like let me let me see how i can get into kind of just this like it, it's tricky because I want to like I want to do I want to get to the fight scene, but it needs to be like a, a dance number. Like it needs to build and build and build, and then be like the emotional catharsis. Yeah. So you you definitely need like the the buildup of emotion and then that break. You know, yeah. this makes it even more amazing. <laughs> well, mm -hmm. speaking of the fights, like in issue one, um. I've always been a huge fan of like robots and like, ro you know, kind of robot theory, like when it comes to like fiction, you know, like how, mm -hmm. what, how, how they're portrayed. We, in fact, our last episode was on the not all robots, um, which was a, a fun book to read. Um, and, but, <laughs> but I love how your, ro 
your robots are portrayed in this in the first issue where they're kind of like um you know they're they're basically ads essentially yeah. physical yeah. ad bots yeah and yeah. like it's basically the internet but they're they're just they're just there and yeah. they, they don't mean harm but yeah they can be an annoying and a nuisance i was gonna say that would yeah. drive me insane though yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. so I, I don't blame the people writing them i feel bad for the bots at the same time because they're not really doing anything you know you know, actually physically wrong, but, mm. but still um, very, very, very clever. I loved it. I loved that, that, uh, that kind of uh, style and reference there. Thanks. One but, of, one of the subplots that's like, it's, it's kind of emerging by three. Um, it's the story is sort of about Merrick and radio. They're mm-hmm. both kind of uh, Urasawa's children. And so it kind of follows both of them on different paths. Okay. So that's very cool. I was, uh, was going to ask, I'm yeah. sure it's uh, spoilery, so feel free to not answer, but <laughs> yeah. are we going to spend a long time with uh, Merrick and Radio, or ra- or rather Merrick not being aware of Radio? We get, it, their stories kind of weave together. Um, yeah, it, you'll you'll have to read to find out. Like, their stories, gotcha. uh, their stories are <laughs> entangled, uh, but different, so. Because oh. it was just interesting, those first few where Radio is very invested in Merrick. And I'm like, I don't think he knows Radio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, everything's going right above his head right now. <laughs> it yeah. seems like, definitely. Um, now, um, I, I did dig into uh, some of your other work um, before we, we spoke here. And I came across Silence uh, that you oh, did cool. a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, it seems like a, a love letter to music. So I have to ask, like, what are some of your favorite bands of all time or artists? <sighs> oh, man. OK, so let's see. My like my quick no dinky favorite, uh, like it's it, it, it's different every day or whatever. But like, I, understand that. I don't feel guilty about saying Mountain Goats are one of the most brilliant, oh, amazing. Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Mountain Goats are phenomenal. Really like Animal Collective. Um, Bob Dylan. Uh, I have so many. I listen to a lot of music. I've listened to a little bit less in recent years, but um, I, I, got really I think that just it. means you're getting old. I think that happens to all of us. It does. Uh, I'm, I used I'm gonna... to love music. I used to have my finger on the pulse, and it's like anything in the last five to ten years, I'm very spotty on. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna fight it. I'm trying to fight as hard as I can. But at, <laughs> at the office I work, like, like I can get away with weird music, but there's like a level. And like where the the level of weird I want to get and the level of weird that yeah. is like ambient <laughs> music are are a little different. So like I'm like I try to choose playlists that like I think everyone like t- t- today I tested the waters with a uh, Gran Turismo jazz and okay. I was like I'm I'm gonna get punched. <laughs> but uh, but nobody, nobody said anything. <laughs> oh, that's good. My, that's my good. elevator jazz. Yeah. No. no. Some- Sometimes you almost uh, cause an HR violation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it it definitely. It sometimes it works. You know, um, that reminds me. Like I I've done kind of the same. Like when it's month end in our office, like sometimes we'll just like have since we're all just working on reports, we're not like talking to anybody. We just we'll have music playing, and uh, whenever it comes to me choosing, um, like you know, I I try try to do some like you know very simple, you know very pleasing things like beetles like who doesn't like mm-hmm. beetles <laughs> you yeah. know like and and then or like or like the smiths or morrissey or something like that mm. but um i remember well one um i found 
a like a chill remix album of um of Zelda songs. And I was like, oh, oh this nice. is like to me, this is like gold. I'm like, this is gonna be so awesome. I put it on, literally last like 20 seconds. What is this crap? <laughs> it's like, oh. I'm so sorry. Um something I, I I'm trying to work up the courage to introduce um like pavement to the oh <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so hard because it's like this is something that's very precious, and you're like this. This is poetry that got me through a hard time or like really energized. <laughs> exactly. And then somebody's like, somebody's like, this is trash. This is yeah, yeah two, cubicle, two, two cubicles over. So it's like, shut that shit off. And then yeah. you're, you're broken for the rest of the day. This is the frontier to God, man. What heals you hurts me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's a blind, it's a, it's a buck tooth girl from Luxembourg. Come on. You know, yeah. Is, everyone can relate to that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so. Uh, it's all, yeah, and I uh, you can't have a silver unrest without Bob Dylan, so I can totally see. Oh no, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, well, okay. So we like to do a lot as much as we can to help out crowdfunding, especially you know with comics that you know, because you know it's, it's that punk rock nature, like the DIY nature of of comics is one of the things that had like originally attracted me to to the the genre to the mm-hmm. to the style of uh, art and um you've done many crowdfunding campaigns in the past like mm-hmm. do you have any like crazy crowdfunding stories or do you have any advice to give anyone for um, crowdfunding yeah i have tons of advice and i always try to like i try to kind of like not godfather but anybody who ever has questions like for a bit i had like a little pamphlet where i was like hey if you're thinking about crowdfunding do it um like I, 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 there's a guy I work with and we do, um, he's got this really cool comic called uh, Samurai Odyssey and like w- it's in progress. I feel bad because like we were working on issue two and then I got the never under contract. So it's like a thing where it's like, I'm going to come back, Phil, come back for you. We're going to finish this off. Um, but the cool thing about comics is if you do it right, if you're, if you're smart about it, if you do a lot of research on Kickstarter, like there are ways for like a writer to like hire an artist uh, and then recoup costs and hopefully have a book at the end of it. Um, Cause like, it depends on the artist. It depends on their rates. But if you can find like an artist who is like roughly like hundred bucks, hundred plus a page, mm-hmm. um, you know, depends how many, like it depends on the artist if you'll get more like inks, uh, letters or the whole shebang colored or, you know, whatever, but just kind of using that as like a, a baseline, um, you know, 24 pages is like 2,400 bucks. Uh, if you really research uh, and have good goals, uh, good overhead, you can usually raise, uh, hopefully you can raise between three and five grand. Um, Kickstarter will take their cut and then it costs to print. So that's probably depending on your number. It gets better. The more you, the more you crowdfund, like the more issues that you sell, cheaper unit cost gets, but you know, that's probably about 600 bucks. So like, you know, it might be a little bit less and postage is in there too um but ideally if you can like if you really really push hard on your campaign like i think it's a solid way for writers to uh you know like it takes a lot of effort but at least they're able to recoup costs hopefully make more if it really takes off and then you have a finished product that you can take and pitch to publishers and stuff so um i'm a i'm a big proponent i would be i was like about to start crowdfunding issue three of neverender uh, or te- yeah, te- te- issue three is gonna be like everything's double sized, so we we split two and three on issue two and two. Like okay. issue two got turned into two and three, so um, just for page mm. count reasons. Um, 
But basically what is now issue four, what's coming out in two weeks, uh, I was about to crowdfund that uh, whenever I got the, the publishing deal. So um, yeah, I think it's a great way to meet people. It's a great like PR tool. Um, it takes a lot of hustle and, you know, it kind of sometimes depends on your social groups or how, like how many people you contact and where you contact them. Um, but if like the Kickstarter community can be really, really cool. And if it's also a great way too to test, like, uh, with silence is a good example. It's like, Hey, I have this idea. I'm passionate about the story. Like, is there an audience for it? And if it failed, mm. it would be like, there's not an audience for it. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, like it's a good way to gauge, like, are people interested in this niche subject that I have? Um, I like never took me three years. And if the first Kickstarter was like a, a absolute failure, I probably would have been like, okay, like that's that story put on the shelf, <laughs> you know, but that's people cool. liked it. That's awesome. So, yes. Yeah. As someone who can do both, um, do you have any preference between art or drawing, illustrating and uh, writing? Or is there something that you think you lean like uh, have a strength more? Because both the art and story and never ender are gorgeous. But I didn't know if there is something that you feel personally is a strength of yours. I would I would love to collaborate. Like um, it'd be really fun to just write. Uh, I also really like just drawing. Um it's kind of like, I think whatever the thing is, I would eventually want to switch, but like, uh, it would be, it would be fun to write for somebody else because like that gives me more RAM to like play and like build into the world and like self-edit too. Um, uh, the, I'm sure I would miss doing sequentials and then like covers are great too. So it's all, it's all kind of like a, a triangle like I, my favorite artists are kind of the singer songwriters so like mm -hmm. uh naoki urasawa who does like 20th century boys and oh yeah um, you know like you could i mean urasawa's name like is in the book mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. <laughs> um but uh you know like that that's the kind of like i like uh I, that's what i love about manga because it's like one person putting together this and like you get weirder stuff but that creates like a more unique feel to the piece of art it's less death by committee um, absolutely yeah definitely yeah i don't i don't think one piece would ever survive a committee you know yeah, like, yeah. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. no <laughs> editorial constraints would have uh killed that book years ago <laughs> yeah i do have a theory though about manga because like dude like like looking at manga cause schedule and like doing stuff like weekly or you know bi-weekly like yeah, I think, it seems insane <laughs> yeah i think i think editorial has to have a strong like 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 i think shonen jumps editors are the people who are like cool but like let's change it this way like that like why why you know like if oda did something that didn't make sense not that i'm like super up on one piece but yeah i always try to figure out how someone can be like how you could just kill it thing after thing and i think some of it's editorial being like okay this is what the audience is expecting so like let's do something in this vein um hmm. The kind I, of shit, get them in the right direction, basically. Yeah, I, yeah. I think editorials co-authors from everything I've kind of studied up on on manga, like uh, like editors and comic assistants are the unsung mm -hmm. elements <laughs> of the industry. I I just learned about comic assistants. Uh, we we did uh, Princess Jellyfish a few Ooh, okay uh, 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 seasons ago, and that was the first time where the manga cub was basically using their housemates <laughs> to be the assistants to help do the drawings <laughs> and everything. So yeah. yeah, that makes sense because yeah, that schedule is insane. Mm -hmm. uh, you should check out uh, if you get a chance on YouTube. There's uh, Manben, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that, that kind of shows you like working manga artists and like what their schedules are and um, super informative. I to definitely check. What was mind. that again? Uh, it's called Manben M A N B E N. Now Kiyosawa hosts it, and he interviews like Ryoichi Ikigami, who did like Crying Freeman, um, Inio Asano. Uh, he has a lot of like just famous. I, I'm sure there's an episode about him. Uh, Taito, I forget the guy who does Golgo. Uh, Saito, um, uh, forgetting that dude's name, but uh, yeah, he I know exactly. It's like I know Golgo. I yeah. can't uh, remember the name of the uh, manga guy. Yeah, which so. I always thought was just a video game when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, now Never Ender. I, I this, it's going to be a, a nine part series, so that might already answer my question that I'm going to ask. But do you do you see Never Ender either becoming a an adapted TV show or a movie? I would I would love uh, I mean I would love anybody adapting it in any direction. I think there's way to boil it down. Um, one of I have a friend who's kind of interested in shopping around. I was like, dude, this is so budget prohibitive. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know, he's like, don't worry about that. But I was like, man, this is like the least budget friendly story. But um, I mean, the cool thing with TV is like, you, I used to be a big movie fan, and I've kind of shifted over, shifted my time over to like serialized TV. Yeah. Um, because it's so good nowadays. So like, it's having, prestige. Yeah. Mm, but like uh, being able to tell a longer story gives you more runway to kind of like jolt the audience. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, I would be happy if anybody, <laughs> I'm happy people are reading it. So <laughs> like, who's your dream cast in for like for Merrick? Ooh, it'd definitely be, uh, man, it'd be cool if it could be an international cast, but it would mm-hmm. definitely be uh, probably an Asian American, someone who could fight. Um, I don't know if I have anybody off the top of my head. Um I saw uh, I saw a fellow creator do that. He like dreamcast his uh, his book, and like I've not thought of it in those terms, but uh, it definitely be an angry. Oh, okay, this doesn't help. Uh, <laughs> no, like I'm trying to think of the, the guy's name. This this nobody will be like, oh yeah, that guy. There's this great movie, Japanese movie called Go. Um, the main character in that. Hold on, let me see if I can figure out who this dude is. He's just this like. I'm sure he's a Japanese actor, Yosuke uh, Kubozuko. Kubozuka. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That guy would be that guy would be super awesome, but uh, I'm sure he's like way too old for the role. But he's got kind <laughs> of the uh, like at this point, the movie I I really really enjoyed is from like 2001. So, uh, um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, that that would be my dream casting. That guy in the 2000s, just this like scrappy, like angry, you know, punk. Very cool. Yeah, I love that you have the vision already. Like you're like, yo, no, actually, there's a specific movie from the 2000s that would fit this perfectly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's the film buff. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so now I have some. I have a couple of very serious questions to ask you next. Here, okay. uh, first, uh, do you have a favorite Gundam or Gundam pilot? Ooh, okay, okay. So I was a big wing guy, so Hero Yui yeah. growing up is like Hero and Duo. Um, Gundam I'm I like time has made me so like I'm not it Gun, Gundam is such a huge open series um so like it's it's crazy because like I do a lot of Gundam art and a lot of it's like my love for Gunpla so I'm like very much in the aesthetics uh I've seen mm. a, I've seen a few series but there's so many series that I always wish oh. I was like better on it but um Arc 78 like in terms of design like 
it's it's one where like every time they update it and take the simple design but make it like tech complex Mm-hmm. Um, like the perfect grade unleashed is just gorgeous. Like it's so sexy. <laughs> yeah. So sexy. So many also cuts. expensive. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's that's the one thing I was trying to get at San Diego Comic Con and I put it off. Uh I was like, I was like, I'm gonna try to buy it. And I was like, if it's here on the last day, I'll get it. And like it made it like three days with like the stock only like halved, and then in like the last day when I was gonna go and pick it up at the end, it was gone. So I was like, that's a sign. I didn't need to buy that. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely my what kind of a lot of my stories when it comes to Comic Con as yeah. well. Yeah, it's it's uh you know what if it's still there, it's meant to be. If it's not, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah, that um there's like a utilitarianist uh to the design of the R seventy eight that like while it's still the uh playlist of the Gundams, like it just works so much and since that canvas is so empty, like those little details that like you know, newer versions, the uh version ka the uh yes the, that perfect uh grade version you could just add little tweaks to it even when they built those uh one one versions in japan mm-hmm. they add little tweaks to it to just you know make the design pop a little bit more so i can totally see how someone gets obsessed with that design yeah those and uh i also build uh all of the kind of samurai ninja ones so like red astray oh. shin musha yeah shin musha, musha sexy those are <laughs> i like those a lot Awesome. Well, kind of related, but not. Um, so, Evangelion. Oh, yes. Um, remakes, yes or no? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, and even I'm way more passionate. Like, I'm very passionate about Gundam. Evangelion's like my favorite, like, number one, like, maybe anything. <laughs> like, I, a lot of what I tried to understand about film was like looking into like how, like, this storytelling is so unlike anything else. And it's like, mm-hmm like why are these these inner titles um you know like i don't know um what like classical music like is that a an homage to stanley kubrick are the inner titles an homage to french new wave i have no idea but um you know uh so remakes um first remake seemed pretty one-to-one like no opinion um like I, I watched kind of, I think I pirated it because I couldn't, like, I think I was back in America. I was like, this is going to take forever to come out. And the first and one it I did. watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of them. All of them. Yeah. Um, we just got like four, right? Just now. Yeah. Four yeah. was like in 2020, I think. Yeah. But I yeah. think maybe one came out in like 96 mm-hmm. or not 96, 06, 2006, excuse me. It yeah. was, yeah, it took, it took a while. And so like, like, oh, one, I didn't have strong feelings about. I really liked the, the recontextualization of the characters and scenes in 02. Um, I wasn't big on 03 because like everything just took such a weird left turn. Um, and then 04, like I think there's a lot to it. Anno re revisiting everything is like interesting. What really like I liked it well enough as when it ended, but when I watched the documentary on Amazon about like how Mari's supposed to be his wife. And like how like what the story like his dad I think his dad lost his arm so like anytime there's like some of the like arm stuff that's from like just his experience with his dad and his his own struggles with his dad so like hmm. that kind of contextualized and like why he ends up sort like that a lot of the decisions and a lot of the artistry and a lot of kind of what made four interesting to, like four was good but in the way an abstract painting is good um, <laughs> and then I, I see think, that. Yeah, like, because a lot of people, uh, I'll talk to people and they'll like complain or like dislike it. I'm like, don't necessarily look for the the bones of the story. Like, look for the artistry behind it, kind of. Um, 
and then the the doc the two-part documentary on Anno kind of cemented just like he went into it he had no clue and like you know I feel like it's kind of this like cathartic conversation between Anno and his father that's in there um yeah and that like the this the meta made me like I liked four well enough and then seeing what Anno went through and like how his wife kind of saved him like like Mari is supposed to be a character based off of his wife so anytime she's in the story it's like him kind of working in his wife to go back through his depression but with a twist now um like his life's better now uh Mm -hmm. and so he's he's readdressing very painful subjects through the same story that he addressed in the first time but now there's something different about it and uh yeah yeah i was really surprised that he would even think about readdressing everything because i i had heard that like the way the evangelion ended was because of how he was feeling at that time mm-hmm. you know that that such a destructive and like just almost terrible ending not terrible as a quality but terrible as in like what happens to everybody um yeah yeah so so yeah and i um, have to check out that documentary now yeah i yeah what what, what is let's see hold on sorry i'll look it up they both oh, hit it the same day on uh prime and a documentary um is it this final challenge of evangelion let me see it might be this hideaki yeah hideaki Anno, the final challenge of evangelion part one and part two. Oh yeah excellent i'll definitely give that a look absolutely that's, he that's he built this like whole town like that town that you see he like like rented out this like uh like not building but like the second floor of like just some random place in japan and like spent a meticulous amount of time just blocking in what would be everywhere and it's like that's so unnecessary mm-hmm. but by the same token i'm sure like it's kind of a diversionary tactic where he's like if only i can get this perfect you know like he's probably thinking about what comes next and that's how he's like biding his time before like he doesn't have and everyone's looking to him for answers all the animators all of his designers like everyone's like <laughs> is this going to be good and he's like fuck i don't know <laughs> like, he's and, like i'm trying to figure this out just like you he's he's yeah. in for the ride as well you know yeah and that's that's what made four really cool is that like i like i finished it and like whether he hit a really cool vibe and like even if the beats were forced or quick i think what happens is cool and then seeing how he like put together i'm like oh no you did plenty like you did great so yeah yeah i i was definitely satisfied (laughs) after after Mm -hmm. the end of that um well now once again we'll come back to uh to never enter you could be uh, as spoilery or as spoiler free as you want to be but uh do you have any kind of anything coming up in never under that you'd like to to let us know about okay so issue four is it's one of my favorite issues Uh, Mm um issue four kind of uh follows uh jihei moon uh so it kind of follows the antagonist and like what her story is um a lot of what i want to get to is like a lot a lot of fiction and a lot of comics can be for like lack of a better word kind of incestuous like i'm trying to do Watchmen, but you know or like you know like like i mentioned akira but it's like it's like i'm less interested in like that's what kind of got me excited like that's what lit up my brain for aesthetics but it's like okay like what about the human condition like led to that and so what what i really want to focus on is kind of like existing in space sounds fun but it's like existing in the middle of an ocean where there's only more ocean forever you know and so like (laughs) i think that's a lot of like what would dictate um like that's that's this is kind of Jihei Moon's like this isn't in the issue but like 
her her main mission is like how do i give people a sense of reason and purpose and like she's a dictator so she approaches that from a, a certain perspective where it's like reason and purpose is the state but I kind of wanted to follow like, and that's more her, more her brother, I guess. And more her family is kind of looking at like why, why like a dictatorial existence in space is necessary. Like why they ruled the, the, you know, satellites like that. But her story is more one of entertainment and like, you know, kind of keeping the people like she doesn't want to control people. She wants to let people have the illusion of choice. Mm -hmm. And so issue, the next issue is kind of following, um, what kind of made her that way um and so that's that's like i'm really excited about the next issue i hope people like really really enjoy it because like you know we've kind of we've kind of seen the league from all these different perspectives but now you're going to see it from like for lack of this is the worst analogy but the vince mcmahon of, of space <laughs> fighting hey that's very intriguing though because i mean moon even though she hasn't been in a lot of the of the comics so far. She's been very much of an intriguing character. So yeah, it's like she's uh she she's obviously the bad guy. She's a dictator, but also like she does have a purpose that she's trying to stave off anarchy. So mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. you have to kind of empathize for that. Yeah, because I mean, like you can't like a space station can't. Uh, someone once pointed out there, like, listen, like when you're in space, there's like. I think of a number, but there's like, there, there has to be like 200 people on the ground making sure like your every movement, like for all the billionaires who want to go in space, like you have to have so many people making sure like your oxygen levels are good, like your food's good, more food's coming, like you're in a very bad position in space generally. Um, so there's no room for like the ship to not be super tight. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Merrick's ideology isn't necessarily the best for, for running. It's kind of Bioshock, right? Like, yeah, you know, like you can't have like, it, I don't know, it, like you can't have anarchy, but by the same token, like, does it have to be dictatorial? So, right. Exactly. <laughs> it can be somewhere between probably. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. The, the, the whole opiate for the masses kind of take, you know, with, mm. with entertainment is definitely very interesting. And, yeah, I, I, I'm very excited to see what happens, what's coming up. Um, mm. Now, do you have any other projects that we should keep an eye out for? Uh, so currently, uh, Neverender is going to be a six-issue series. And then uh, from my understanding, the, the next three will be released as a um, sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. So Neverender, the final duels, that's the, the current goal. And nice. then um, uh, da-da, I have one series that I'm kind of noodling on, but nothing public yet. And then there's a chance silence might go back into print. Um, so like kind of in negotiations on that, that'd be really cool. So, I really hope it does. Cause I, I really want to check that out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll shoot you a link so you can at least like minimum uh, check out a digital version. But oh. um, yeah, I went, the thing with like, this is the trick with like crowdfunded comics is that like, it costs a lot to get them made. And then like every issue I have, I like live on top of. So, so when I sold out, like it's it sucks because like it's three years, it's three in very real sense. Like I did full chores on that. So that like pencils, inks, colors, letters, crowdfunding, like that's three years of my life that like is not in print. So I do kind of want to like print it again, but um I also like that's gonna take up X number of cupboards. So right. exactly. <laughs> it'll know. be it'll be your seat. For the next couple of years, yeah, yeah. Well, I just need to build furniture out of stock. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, this right. is my recliner made out of Neverender. Yeah. Would you like? <laughs> would you like one? I don't need a footrest. <laughs> <laughs> I have an ottoman made out of silence. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. 
This is well, my Dragon Slayer table. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, once again, thank you very much for, for joining us here. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. And um, so Never Ender volume or numbers issues one through three are out currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, issue four will be coming out in, you said two weeks? Yeah, I believe uh, uh, it said 17th. I think it got bumped to 24th. There's been kind of paper issues like every week. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. I think 24th. And then um, all my comics are dig- like all my digital comic silence is available, I okay. think, on Comixology. Excellent. I will. Uh, but yeah. I'll pick it up there. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you once again and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I never Thanks, know how Kevin. to end these things. <laughs> okay. You need a catchphrase. Like, yeah. Stay classy. Stay cool. Yeah. Stay cool, baby. <laughs> Be like, and no, no, at the end, Brian, just say that I love you. Just make yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. awkward. Just make it as awkward as well. I love you very thank much. You and I'll see you tomorrow. I love you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I'll see Keep you it. when I see you. Keep okay. it funky, fresh, mamacita. Yeah. Oh, God. That, love it. I might yeah. have to use that for the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Thank you once again. All right. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Thank you guys for having awesome, me on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pleasure, brother. And we're back. Thank you all for listening. Uh, I guess that's it for the show as well. Um, Carrie, do you have a nonprofit for the week? Nope, and you keep putting me on the spot. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Probably right. going to edit that part out. All right. <laughs> okay, well, I hope you, um, like, if you, unless you guys have anything else to add, I guess I'll go ahead and do the end of the show. Ooh, we got some. Is music. it music time? Not yet, not yet. Okay. Oh, it's not time to party yet? <laughs> I'll have to, to end the show first, right? That was great. All right. So, well, we reached the end of the show. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Good Pods, CDB Pod, Book Clubbers. Friday, uh, we'll be announcing what we are going to. F- do next week it's my choice so it's gonna be music based i hope you all enjoy um and um if you want to join in the conversation you can email us at comics are better at gmail.com uh website is comics are better dot wordpress.com you can request a future show and richard where can we find you um i'm at topcat 360 on all sh- social media just you know doing fun stuff football's almost here it's gonna be an ethical but fun Yes, yes, yes. And I am at Bryjan underscore CV on Instagram. And so then for Richard and Carrie, I'm Brian, and this has been the Comics Deserve Better podcast. And remember, comics deserve better and everyone deserves comics. Bye. 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 Goodbye. <laughs>